everybody. Good to see all of you this morning. And uh, we are back on live stream. So for those of you who are watching online, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David, and for the next 30 minutes or so, I'll be your guide, your Sherpa of Scripture, as it were. And we're glad that you are gathered with us as well, because we believe that God is no respecter of distance, and we are gathered in his name. So if he's here, he's there with you too. So here we go. Um, I gotta be honest, I've been really excited about this because can, can we just pause and say that Lent and Easter was just awesome? I mean, really? I mean, seriously? I, it, there's so much that was in John, and I, I was uh, telling Susan earlier that it's just so rich. I can't think of a better word to describe it. And um, kind of coming off that, I was you know, talking with the Lord, just saying, okay, Lord, what do you want to do next? And there's been a, a couple of things that have been floating around in my head, but I, I think <clears throat> last Sunday we talked about resets. And, um, and for the record, I think that God is resetting his church. And I think he's resetting it universally, but I think he's also doing it specifically. And this is kind of an opportunity for us to adjust and prioritize what's important. Can I just say it that way? That if God is really doing a reset, and remember, we're not afraid of resets because he's the God of resets. That's, you know, kind of resurrection language there. And if he's really doing this, then it's, it's not scary, it's an opportunity. It's really something that we can embrace. But there has to be a certain amount of thought. There certainly has to be a lot of prayer that's involved with it. And I really sensed that that's what he wants to talk about <clears throat> um, next, uh, as far as the life of the church goes. And I think it's natural, I think it's even necessary for us to ask the question, where are we going as a church? Where, where are we going? I mean, come on, the last two years weren't, were not easy. Let, let's just be honest about it. And, <clears throat> you know, kind of what's the way forward, and, and in this series, I'm going to outline where I think, um, where I believe God is, is taking us. And, and I want to kind of set this up a little bit because there are two primary thoughts. Before I get rolling here, there's a, a couple of things that I, I, I really need for you to understand, kind of some of the background to this. So <clears throat> a few weeks ago, our board of directors met. Now, if you're kind of new to Thrive Church, the, the way we're set up is that we our, our, our governing body is a board of directors. So board governs, the pastor leads, the staff manages, and the people minister to one another. At least that's kind of the organizational structure to it. <clears throat> and we've got a great board, and I love them, all of them dearly, and I'm so glad that they choose to do this with us. But when we met as a board in one of our um, uh, regular meetings, um, let me say this, the first rule of leadership is always to deal with reality, <laughs> always. And so you gotta spend some time talking about reality, and the reality is, is that the lockdowns affected our attendance and our giving like every other church, and everyone's trying to sort their way through this. Here's the good news, the good news is that Thrive Church is not closing down, <laughs> not by a long shot. As long as we're solvent, we're still serving the kingdom, period. We're just gonna keep moving forward. And um, 
as, as, a, uh, as a board, we, we discussed that and we, we said, no, we still have kingdom stuff to do and we want to be a part of that. Now, we also recognize that you can't necessarily cut your way to success, okay? And that if you're, if you're, if you're going to, to, to be engaged in kingdom sorts of activities, you have to invest in kingdom sorts of ways. And one of the places that we identified um, in the course of the discussion where we must invest is with a kids director. Now, I may have mentioned this to some of you um, individually, but I'm just going to state it out there is we're looking for a kids director, somebody who can lead our kids' ministry and kind of um, reset it, for lack of a better term. Now, some of you will recall a few years ago, prior to all the pandemic stuff, that um, we were running a very robust kids' ministry. Do you remember it? Yeah. There were a lot of kids running around, <clears throat> and it was fun, and there was a, a lot of excitement going on. I'll never forget, and I got to tell the story because my wife's not here, right? But I was, uh, when we were at the elementary school, I was um, walking into service. Uh, Dan had already started, and I was walking into service, and I looked down where the kids' ministry was, and my wife was leading probably, I don't know, it must have been seven or eight, three and four-year-olds down to their worship time, but they were walking down the hall like penguins. It was awesome. It was just so much fun, and the kids were enjoying it, and, and it, was, it was a neat thing to kind of see, and I'm like, Lord, I missed that. Can we do that again? Because that would be great. Not that everybody has to walk like penguins. That's not the point. The point is that there's a lot of energy because of where the kids were, and if you're going to do ministry in a suburban environment like Thrive Church does, you got to do kids. I mean, it's just, it's just part and parcel of, of um, kind of the minimum acceptable standard for, for a church. And so we're looking actively for a kids director. Now, here's the thing. And I have no idea why I didn't think about this before. Probably because I'm still learning too, right? I'm still trying to learn how to follow Jesus as a leader, and I'm trying to learn to follow Jesus as a husband and a father and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know why I didn't mention this, but I think that as a church, we ought to be praying for a kids director. Why? Well, because we are adding someone to our team, but not just our team, but to our church family. And I'm going to tell you right now, I only want God's choice. That's who I want. I want God's choice for that. And we're not going to know who that is necessarily unless we ask him. So I thought we would take a, a moment this morning and to pray for a kids director. So would you join me? Let's just do that right now, okay? Lord, <clears throat> um, we just humbly, once again, put Thrive Church at your feet because it's yours. And Lord, um, we know that in order to do the type of ministry that we believe that you've called us to do, is we need somebody to lead our kids' ministry. And your people are gathered here together in your name. We know you're in the room and we have joined our hearts in prayer asking you to show us who that person is. Who is it that you have in mind um, for um, Thrive's Kids Director? We want your choice. Would you please make that person plain to us so that we can uh, pursue it and we can um, see you work once again? Because, uh, Lord, we want to see you work. We love it when you do, and we get to testify it to other people and and this is just another opportunity for you to do it again.
And so as I um, wrap this up, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would prompt these people during the week to make that simple prayer that you would reveal to us who your choice is. And we're going to thank you in advance for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks for doing that. But please do, if you think about it during the week, ask the Lord to make that very clear. Now here's the second preliminary idea. This is the thing that I want you to understand. And uh, you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again because I think this is um, absolutely crucial to, to what we do. Jesus is the head of Thrive Church, period. Jesus is. And um, we collectively listen and respond to him. We do it individually, but we also do it collectively. And we believe that he speaks. We believe that he's speaking to us. And he invites us to partner with him in the types of kingdom activities that he wants to do. But if you don't understand that idea, none of the rest of what I'm going to say is going to make sense. And so we need to keep that idea in mind as we go forward. This is Jesus' church. I regularly try to spend my time listening to what he has to say, not just for Sunday messages, but also for what he's saying about people in the church. Um, what he's saying um, to us collectively and individually, I want to know what he has to say. So, crucial that you understand that I'm just an associate. He's the head of the church. <clears throat> and so, as we talk about moving forward, um, the, the title of, of this message, the series actually, uh, we're going to be talking about things like vision, mission, and purpose. Oh my, right? <laughs> We're going to be talking about the direction that we're going. And so often when churches talk about vision or mission, they start with the Great Commission, right? And you've seen this before. I'm going to put it back up on the screen again so that we can see this. Uh, some things I want to point out here. Then Jesus came to them, this is the disciples, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Aren't you glad for that? Uh-huh, yeah. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And aren't you glad for that little piece, too? Boy, there's some great bookends here, right? You know, all authority, and I'm with you. Mm, that sounds great to me, and especially in this environment that we live in uh, these days, <clears throat> I'm very glad for this. So we have this great commission. And now, Please understand, I've been thinking about this for a long time. In fact, um, some of this are things that I worked through when I was in seminary. <clears throat> but um, we want, as a church, to produce fruit. Because we think that that's what God wants. I think God expects fruit from not only his people, but from his church. That th there's a certain productivity to this. <clears throat> and... Um, in order to do that, we want to engage in the Great Commission. But I think for me, there's a couple of problems that surface, and I want to talk about this a little bit. And I don't, hopefully this isn't too academic. I, I, I do think this um, is going to be helpful. Within this verse, this idea of the Great Commission, um, I, if you've not heard this before, let me just make this very plain. There's only one verb. There's only one action word here. And it's this one. It's to make disciples. Right? Now, don't get me wrong, there's other action words in here. There's go, right? There's uh, baptize, and there's teach. But in, in the original language, what you have is you have an actual verb, 
make, make disciples. Everything else, if I remember correctly, is a participle. So the idea here is that you make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. Does this make sense? So there's, there's kind of an order here, there's kind of a hierarchy, but make no mistake that the engine driving all of this is make disciples. Everything else is commentary on that. So keep this in mind. Therefore go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them, right? So we have these, these, these various components to it. Um, but the real question for me is, <laughs> surprise, surprise, what is a disciple? Now, <clears throat> I'm gonna make some comments here that are gonna get me into trouble, and you know I'm okay with that, right? Okay, I'm okay with getting into a little bit of trouble. I've been there before, I'm gonna be there again. But I think this is an, is an important thing. And I don't want to throw the church, any church, under a bus. That's not my intention, but I do think there's something that we need to think about. It is really difficult to hit an unknown target. Because if you don't have the target in front of you, you just waste an ammo. And you know, for those of you who you know, do that sort of thing, it's a little expensive to be doing that, right? So keep that in mind. It's difficult to hit an unknown target. And what often happens, I think, in popular church culture is that we've, we've kind of identified, I, I don't know what else to call it, it's almost like a sales pitch complete with a close, right? We, we outline um, like the four spiritual laws or, or you know, there's questions that you can ask people. And again, I, a lot of people came to faith by that and I, I think that's fine. But there seems to be this kind of, would you like to invite him into your life today? There's this closing statement. And, and it's like the sales pitch complete with a close. And if we can get them to say the sinner's prayer and sign on the dotted line, then we've got a customer. And by the way, a customer is not the same thing as a disciple. Do you understand? Again, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be judgmental or rude or any of those things. I just think about it and I'm like, what often passes as discipleship sounds an awful lot like convert to me. And don't get me wrong, conversion is part of the process. You know, Jesus calls us to repent and to believe the good news. Stop doing one thing, turn and do something else, right? So there is this notion of conversion that goes on within the disciple-making process. But is a convert the same as a disciple? No. Is a customer the same as a disciple? No. So again, I'm back to my question, what is a disciple? And I want to be clear more than anything else that here at Thrive, we have a very clear, very understandable definition of a disciple. A disciple listens and responds to God. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated. But it's not just that I have this mental assent that all things are true, but I do think that there's this moment where we go, I'm going to listen to what God is saying to me, whether I'm reading it in my text, whether he's speaking to me directly, whether I'm receiving wise counsel from someone else or someone speaking prophetically over, whatever it happens to be, the point is I am listening and then I'm responding to what I hear God saying. That's a disciple. And when we look through the entire text, especially um, the book of Acts, you see this over and over again. God speaks to his people and they respond. And then all kinds of things start happening. 
Uh, I've said this before, the the official title of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. (laughs) Nope, it's Acts of the Holy Spirit and the disciples are hanging on for dear life. I really feel like that's the case. In fact, I was telling Dan this the other day, I feel like that's what's happening here these days, is that, you know, God's up to some things, I'm not sure exactly what they are, but I'm hanging on for dear life because it's a whole lot of fun. And it's been really enjoyable to be a part of that journey with him. So for me, a disciple is one who listens and responds to God. That's it. If I can help people be be more in tune, more sensitive to what God is saying to them in their lives and they're responding to it, I, I, oh, oh, that just gets me excited. It really does. Because I think then we start seeing this thing called the kingdom of God begin to emerge. I think it's important. So let's be real clear that when we talk about making disciples, we're, we're talking about helping people become more sensitive so that they can listen and actually respond to what God's telling them. I think that's, that's an important piece of this. Okay, so here's the second challenge, <clears throat> the second problem that kind of surfaces for me, at least as I see it in the Great Commission. So let me go back to it, and I want to I highlight it. <clears throat> so it talks about go, baptize, and this is teaching them to obey everything that I commanded. All right, this is where I think a lot of discipleship goes off the rails. Now, a lot of you know that I spend um, uh, a little bit of time working for a company called Chemistry Staffing. We do um, ministry placements around the United States, and um, I do interviews for that company. And I really like it because it, it allows me to talk to lots of pastors all over the country. Now, for the record, um, I think in the last three years, I've done something like five or 600 interviews. I've talked to a lot of pastors in a lot of different areas and um, met some, some of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. And, and it's been eye-opening. But when I talk to people specifically about discipleship, one of the things that I have noticed very often is that uh, the definition of disciple usually involves some type of Bible study. Now, I want you to hear me say this. (laughs) You need to study your Bible. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you need to study your Bible. However, I'm also very aware that some 200 years of strict Bible study haven't necessarily made us better disciples all the time, okay? So for me, what I want to see is somebody who listens and responds. Well, one of the ways you listen is you read your Bible. So in other words, if you're doing discipleship, discipleship does not equal Bible study. But if you're trying to do discipleship without your Bible, you're doing it wrong, okay? We just need to put it in the, in the correct place, the correct, correct position um, as we try to understand this idea of discipleship. And so I, I think what often happens when we try to teach everything that God commands the, the one major thing we do is we plop people down in a Bible study and, or we tell them, read your Bible and, and say your prayers and everything will be fine. And I don't know how that's worked out for you, but it hasn't worked out that great for me. Uh, my wife and I have talked about this quite a bit. It makes a big difference when I understand it in light of I'm trying to listen and respond. I read my text differently that way. I talk to people differently because I'm trying to listen and I'm trying to respond. Okay. So teaching everything that I commanded. Uh, teach, uh, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Okay, so, so we have this little piece. Now I think um, I've heard lots of messages about going. Every missionary will talk about in their talk that, you know, the fact that Jesus said go, 
right? So we talk about going. Um, we count baptisms, and we should. That's, that's an important thing that we do. Uh, by the way, uh, this summer, we're going to be doing baptism. So if you want to be baptized or you know somebody who needs to be baptized, if you get a child or something like that, let's talk. But that's going to be happening this summer. We're going to be do- doing some baptisms. But when it comes to teaching, it seems to me that we're a little less strategic about it. And I think this is an important thing, and I think this is kind of where, like I said, things go off the rails. Because um, without some type of description of a discipled person, um, we're left with teaching is equaling Bible study. And I don't think that's the entire sum of it. It's an important part, but you have to see it as a, uh, as a, as a complete whole. I'll put it that way. So what do we teach? If he said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, what do we teach? What did Jesus command? Great place to start. And I think the older that I get, the more I'm interested um, in things like basics, fundamentals. Because if you consistently apply those fundamentals, it tends to get you a little further. And for whatever reason, human beings, especially Americans, we have this ability to overcomplicate stuff, don't we? I mean, we really do. And I think we sometimes need to come back to what are the basics of it. So if if it's really the basics of discipleship is listening and responding, then we need to, to talk about the basics of Jesus' teaching. And fortunately, I think that we get a little bit of help teaching commands. I I think we get a little help from Matthew chapter 22. I want you to see this. I think this is is great. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, please understand, um, there are groups within ancient Judaism. They are more or less divided on two things. Some points of theology and politics. Can you imagine that? Okay? So you have the Sadducees. They, uh, if I remember right, didn't believe in an afterlife, which is why they were sad, you see? Oh, yeah, that's bad. I'm sorry. <sighs> that's, like, that's like theological dad joke, right? Sorry. Um, but you have the Sadducees and you have the Pharisees. <clears throat> and um, the fact that Jesus shut down the Sadducees made the Pharisees very happy, Right? quite funny. So Pharisees all get together, and they're going to take a run at Jesus. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with with this question. Now, hit the pause right there. First of all, this may not be as antagonistic as it sounds, because uh, Jewish religious uh, leaders would often test each other. There's a reason why there's that term there. They're not necessarily playing gotcha. What they're trying to do is they're trying to test his ability to interpret God's law. Okay, this is very common, very common to do this. So this is, would be a natural part of a discussion that any religious person within rabbinic Judaism would have, would have engaged in. So uh, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. This is an honest question, not just a gotcha question. Now don't get me wrong, they're still happy that, that Jesus you know, beat up the Sadducees. But you know, he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest? That's a good question. 
And he's, he's genuinely asking because how he answers this question determines how serious the Pharisees have to take him. You see? This is really important that we understand this, that there's some rabbinic Judaism that's going on here. Jesus replied, you know it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I think one of the other passages talks about um, and your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. (laughs) But he's not done. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, quick little clarifying comment. The Old Testament in Judaism is composed of two components. The law and the prophets. So what Jesus is saying here in modern Christian language is the entire Old Testament hangs on these two commandments. He's not picking and choosing here. He's literally saying the sum total of all of that work rests on these two fundamental ideas. Love God and love your neighbor, or love people is the way we we tend to describe it. It's the, it's the greatest and it's the most basic. Love God, love people. And please understand, please understand that he is presupposing the Old Testament. That's all he has in front of him. New Testament hasn't been written yet, right? So he is telling us that loving God and love, loving people is what the Heavenly Father has intended all along. That's it. Most fundamental. And so what's interesting to me is that you have a disciple who loves, loves God and loves people. This is the most fundamental teaching. It's also the most difficult. Have you noticed? Because there are some people you just don't want to love. I know, because I have them too. We all have that ability to not love people. I was thinking about this the other day because for the longest time I've heard churches talk about the, the Great Commission. And I gotta be honest with you, and I, again, I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but that's okay. I don't find the Great Commission motivating. Can I say that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I understand why Jesus said that, but, but I'm like, okay, so we're making disciples, but Why? You know, I just don't find making disciples for the sake of making disciples motivating. But if I'm making disciples who love God and love people, oh, that can change the world. Now I can get on board with that piece. Because the fact of the matter is, is that you can get a whole bunch of people who believe a certain thing, but don't necessarily change the way they behave. Sound familiar? And that concerns me a great deal because I think what happens is is that we've substituted this kind of sales pitch, but we've not necessarily taught people how to love God and to love people because that's hard. And it takes a long time unless some of you know how to do this where you instantaneously begin to love God and love people all at once. I don't know how to do that. I got to learn. And typically for me, that means learning the hard way. 
But a disciple who loves God and loves people, that will change the world. And how do I know that? Because Jesus did it with 12. Actually, he did it with 11, to be honest. People who actually loved God and loved people change the world. You and I are here today because 11, and then later Paul got it added to their number, so 12, 12, loved God and loved people. And those early churches, when they gathered together, they loved God and they loved people. And here we are, 2,000 years later. You want to talk about legacy. (laughs) Hello. But they weren't making disciples for the sake of making disciples. They were making disciples who loved God and loved people. That's the most basic of his teaching. And for whatever reason, I feel like sometimes we, we miss that as a church. And if God is going to reset things, wouldn't it make sense to reset things to the one thing that we know actually works? We've got 2,000 years of evidence for it. It's important. So I want to suggest that we make disciples who love God and love people. And then let's watch to see how our worlds change. Isn't there a part of you that wants that? There's a little part of you inside that goes, I wonder what that would be like. (laughs) Yep, me too. Now, I want you to think through some things um, with me here. So let's say we've got a disciple who who truly is learning how to love God and love people because I don't think you actually ever arrive I do think there's always a process. There's always, well, you've heard me say this before, there's always another step to take with Jesus, right? There's always one more thing that we have to do. Um, There's always more people to love. God's so massive, there's more things he wants to reveal uh, to you about himself. I mean, there's always another step to take. We never really arrive. But let's, let's take, say we've got a person who's on that path. They're, They're genuinely trying to, to learn how to love God and to love people. But what happens if we have more than one of those? What happens if we have two or three of those? What happens if we gather a group of them together? What, 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 do, we, what do we call that? What, what is that? What might that actually be? Well, let me, let me suggest something. Sheep flock, fish school, cattle herd, uh, leopards leap, kittens kindle. I know a lot about that. Lions Pride, Owls Parliament, and Disciples, well, they church. And I noticed this um, within the text. The New Testament itself only describes two entities. Disciples, Greek is methetes, and church, ecclesia. Only way to describe the individuals involved in the disciple-making process. There is no other distinction. There's just two. You've got an individual disciple, and when you get a group of them together, you've got a church. Okay? Now, there's a couple of other observations here that I think is really, really fascinating. After uh, Acts chapter 2, there is no mention of any numbers when it comes to church. This is, this is fascinating, if you really think about this. So, um, I've got a number of books on my shelf. Have you ever been in my office or seen me on Zoom? I've got a bunch of books. 
And there's a, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of ink spilled on numbers and divisions in the church and, and trying to understand it. Um, those of us who uh, um, are Wesleyan Arminian in our theology know that John Wesley uh, did this amazing thing. He, he divided um, his Methodists up into certain groups. Uh, the smallest group was a band, then you had a class, and then you had societies. Okay, that was the way he divided them up and he, you know, so that he could minister to them and they could minister to one another and that was kind of his division. And I thought, I, I think that's, that's great. Um, I've got another book on my shelf that talks about how you have your committed and then you have your core and then you have the crowd. And it all depends on numbers. I, usually, I actually have another book that talks about the numeric value of 312, 70, and 120. That's how Jesus built his church. That, that's the argument that it's made. And I think, oh, that's really helpful. It's really useful. Um, what strikes me, though, is that after Acts chapter 2, there's no mention of numbers, ever. And Acts chapter 2 is something about God adding uh, like 3,000 to their number that day. <laughs> that's a little more than 120, would you agree? <laughs> that's a whole lot more. And they certainly had to divide up into house churches in order to, to function in that, that society. I totally get that. But in the New Testament, there's no mention of numbers. A group of disciples is a church, period. That's it. And, and why not? I mean, I mean, think about it. We just talked about this earlier. Here's Matthew 18. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, they ask for it, it will be done for them by, Father, by my Father in heaven. That's why we just prayed together about a kid's director, okay? For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with, with them. That's a church. One disciple, two disciples, and Jesus, that's all you need. That's a church. Ecclesia. doesn't have to be a certain number. doesn't have to be three or, or, or whatever. It's a church. Jesus is present with them. And, and even when you look at... Um, uh, the letters that Paul writes. He writes, to the church gathered at, fill in the blank, wherever it is. You know, if it's Ephesus or if it's Rome, it doesn't matter. Point is, we have no idea how many numbers of people there are. And when he writes to the Galatians, Galatia is actually a large region, it's a state, and so that letter probably went from house church to house church to house church. There's no mention of numbers. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that the church is on the move. The church is expanding because you have disciples who are learning how to love God and love people, and that's ever expansive, and it doesn't matter what the numbers are because, again, two or more gathered in his name, he's there, that's all you need. So what happens when we gather everybody together? Well, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out. And so what I want to show to you is what emerges is kind of this simple two-by-two two grid. You have disciples and you have a church. It's learning how to love God and love people. Very simple. It's uncomplicated. And yet, it's really difficult to do. Simplicity does not mean easy. Disciples in a church who love God and love people. And so what I want to declare to you, this is where we're going. This is where Thrive Church is headed. We will be a presence-centered church. We're interested in the presence of God. And what happens on a discipleship level will then happen on a church level. 
And what happens on a church level then influences what happens on a discipleship level. And when we look at each one of these quadrants, each one of these, these squares, so to speak, you're going to, be seeing, you're going to see how the presence of God influences all of this. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you will never be able to love God and love people without his presence. You are incapable of it. We all are. That doesn't mean you can't do nice things for people without God. It happens all the time. But the point is, is that if you really want to understand loving God and loving people, you have to understand his presence. Have to. And that's where we want to be as a church. We want to be presence-centered. I don't want this Sunday morning to be your fueling station to get you through the end of the week. That's not the point. Rather, I want you to regularly go to, to the presence of God. Let him charge your batteries. You do it with your phone every day for crying out loud. You pop that thing on and, and you understand how this works. You can't just do it once a week. Your phone would die after about 24 hours, you know. And I think the same thing happens to us spiritually if we're not careful. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about each one of these different um, components, these different uh, squares, these quadrants. And I want to outline and examine each because we're going to be talking about how. How does a disciple learn how to love God? How does a disciple learn how to love people? How does a church love God? How does a church love people? How do we actually do this? This is a lot about the mechanics of how, but we have to start from the right theology. We have to understand that it's up to you and up to us to learn how to do this most simple of, of teachings that Jesus gave us. How do we do these things? And I believe that this has enormous implications. And frankly, surprising implications, to be honest. And some of what we've thought over the years are important might not be as important as we think they are. There may be some other things. Now make no mistake, we're after nothing less than the kingdom of God. I, 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 that's, that's what I want more than anything else. What is the kingdom? It's the rule and reign of Christ. And I think this is the path that God has set out for all of us. This seems to be where God is directing and he'll adjust us along the way because we don't always get everything right and we have lessons that we need to learn. And sometimes they're very painful. And, but hopefully if we trust him, we'll go through that. Earlier, um, I think it was last month, I made the declaration that we want to be um, in his presence so that we can be his presence. We want to be with him in order to represent him. That's just a fancy way of saying loving God and loving people. I need to be in his presence. That's loving God. If I want to be his presence to someone else, I can't do it without him. I can't do this on my own, under my own power. I need the empowerment of Holy Spirit to get me where he needs me to be. And I think that happens not just individually, but collectively. So if you want to know where we're going, this is it. And if you want to get a detailed understanding of this, this is the hook. Come on back next week because we're going to talk about another one of the quadrants. Now, if you take my discipleship course that we're doing, we do a deep dive into this and you get to understand a little bit more. But I think this is where we need to begin. 
as a church. If God is resetting us, he is resetting us back to fundamentals that have worked for 2,000 years, not because I'm some type of a traditionalist, but because I want to be spirit-led. If God's not part of this, let's just shut the doors right now and go do something else. But if this is where he's leading, if this is where he's inviting us to be a part of what he's up to, oh man, I want to go all in. I want to go all in. Because I don't want to miss out on anything that he has in mind. I'll tell you a quick story. This is how much I believe. This isn't my idea. I want you to understand that. I really feel like this is something that the Lord has, has outlined. From time to time, I get phone calls from churches around the country <clears throat> just inviting me to talk about being their senior pastor. And uh, I've had several opportunities over the last couple of years. And let me tell you, when, when you're dealing with pandemic-type stuff, it is a very easy thing to start thinking about, ooh, I wonder what grass is greener somewhere else, right? That's just very true. And Lisa and I had a long talk over this last one. And the Lord had started to um, reveal some of this stuff. And I looked at my wife and I said, okay, there's, there's a number of mechanical factors why this doesn't make sense for us to go somewhere else, but I'm going to tell you more importantly, I don't want to miss out if God's going to do something here. I don't want to miss out. And please understand, I'm not looking to move. Don't, don't, don't hear that. But if God is guiding and leading us in this direction, oh my gosh, why on earth would I want to leave? I want to see what this is about. I want to know what it's like to see a group of people who actually love God and love, love people who are learning how to do this and to actually see this kingdom sort of thing occur. Oh my word. I, that will get you out of bed in the morning. You don't have to be an ordained minister to do this. You can do this anywhere. In fact, it's probably better that you're not an ordained minister because ordained ministers only hang out with Christian people most of the time. And I don't know about you, but the people that you come in contact with, they need the love of God. And they, they, the, only, the only reason, the only way that they're going to understand that God loves them is because you love them. You get to do that. You get to be a part of that particular endeavor. And that's the thing that I want to see from time to time. I believe that this is where God has us, where God wants us to go. And I can't wait to get started on this. So I'm asking you if you would join me in this particular journey of discovery. And here's the beautiful thing of it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the love of God is expansive and ever-expanding. And some of you have heard me say this before. What a great club. We should invite more people, right? And I think that this is, this is true. But the only way that people understand if you love them is if you love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that the love of God is so big and he puts that inside of us that, you know, we could sit here and we could talk about numbers and attendance and whatnot. And I'm like, you know what? New Testament doesn't care. But I know that God's love is ever expanding. If we follow this, everything else is going to take care of itself. Remember the, the, the phrase that Jesus used. He said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, they're part and parcel, and everything else will be added to you. I don't know how this is going to work out. 
but I'm really excited to, to try. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. You're present in the room. You've been here all along. You were waiting for us before we even walked in, in the door. You're going to be waiting for us in the car when we go to lunch because you're always everywhere. And for whatever reason, you choose to wait for us and then to partner with us. I don't, I don't necessarily understand why you do that, Lord, but I'm so glad that you do. And I believe that you have charted the path forward to us. I believe that you have asked us to go back to the very basics of learning how much to love you, how much you love us, and to learn how to love others. And I pray, God, that individual disciples would listen and respond to you. And that as a church, we would take you up on the offer to partner with you in all of these things. Over the next week, Lord, I pray that you would help each person seated here to be just a little more sensitive to what you're, what you're saying to them. You're speaking. Help us to tune in to what you're saying. And Lord, I pray that each individual would have the courage to respond to you and that um, ultimately we'd be able to tell those stories to one another and encourage each other. I don't know everything that you have in mind, but I'm so glad that we get to be a part of it with you. And so bless these individuals <clears throat> as, they, as they open their ears, they open their hearts, they open their minds to all that you have in store for them. And I'm going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said.